what was it you said? Completely confident, like 5 nil and 4 nil or something this week? I think I said 5 nil and 3-1. I wasn't far off with one of them. Uh, OK, no, not, not bad. Just worth pointing out, just before the Wigan game, I tweeted at you after the lineup came out. Still think we're going to win 5 nil, Ed? You just tweeted me one word answer. You just tweeted back, no. Well, that's <laughs> all right. I was confident of a 4 nil win, obviously. <laughs> we're recording this minutes after that Galatasaray game's finished. It was obviously dreadful. There's something fundamentally depressing about watching United play below averagely and and it's just added the burden is so added to and magnified by the presence of Niall Quinn in the commentary box as well yes well we can talk about that joy in a moment I have a a few moments to think about the last time United actually played well in a European game I'm suspecting it might have been in black and white it's not been good but but we should talk about Wigan at the weekend first you know because that happened only a few days ago and and one of those games uh, with the old cliche of a game of two halves and United really weren't very good in the, the first half at all and completely blew Wigan away in the second half. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I had a question for you because I was thinking about this game. I don't know whether it was because I was distracted or I wasn't paying attention properly. But I couldn't really work out what happened differently in the second half, except suddenly we looked like we were playing well instead of badly. It wasn't like the changes changed the game particularly. They kind of happened after the game was won in many ways. Um, but it just looked like we switched on. R- Ryan Giggs in particular seemed to rediscover some of his general sort of leadership qualities, I thought, at the beginning of that second half. It felt like there was a bit more urgency. Obviously, clinical in front of goal the, the passing was a bit quicker a bit too much for Wigan really there it was neater there was more creativity I I, I don't know I mean I, I don't think there was any massive tactical change but there was definitely a greater sense of urgency in that second half and of course the goals went in and they all went in a, a very short time period didn't they or at least three of them in inside sort of 15 minutes and, and that definitely killed the game off but just that burst of energy was was more than enough to take United past Wigan for that short period of time lovely to see skulls on the score sheet and and nanny absolutely instrumental in creating that goal with some wonderful work on the right hand side yeah that was a good side of nanny there were some poor sides of nanny in that game as well you know certainly wasted some opportunities he did yeah all right and and skulls of old getting into the box i mean it's amazing that he can still get up there really i mean what with the zimmer frame and uh, maybe i'll be moving on to the electric wheelchair more of which later I love the pointing celebration. I love it. I don't know quite what it is about that pointing celebration. Just scores a goal, points at the crowd behind the goal, and then runs off to celebrate with everyone. I don't really know what it means, but I like it. It's like a good version of the Alan Shearer fist in the air, which was terrible. Um, but there's there's something really likeable about Scalzi's. It was good to see Hernandez getting on the score sheet and good to see him staying on side, although really the Wigan defence did as much as they could to help him stay on side. Emerson Boyce so far offside as to essentially be playing in, I don't know, the Eastland Stadium or something. He couldn't have played Hernandez more onside if he'd laid across the goal line. And, and the hilarious thing about that was that you then went and had to go at the, the linesman for it. I mean, he's got to be looking across there and realised he's five yards behind his, his teammates yeah terrible really well one of the interesting things about the United performance I thought was was that those Skulls had a really great game we're, we're so used to that kind of those combinations in midfield with Skulls and I, I didn't think that always came off for United I thought actually United's best play 
came in wide areas. Although yeah. Skulls had a good game, I thought United were far more dangerous using wit than than through the centre of the park. And and true of, of players playing for United at the time, obviously no Kagawa, so n- not that that kind of pivotal focus through the centre. So so maybe United played through the middle a bit more. And I actually thought Wigan's central midfielders were, were really good for a loss of the game. Obviously not so good in the second game, but MacArthur and McCarthy had, had a you know felt like they had a really good combination in midfield, and and they actually kept Wigan in in the game for 50 odd minutes yeah absolutely it's worth I mean talking about our wing play the debut of Alex Bootner playing not so much as a left back as a left footballer a question comes in from at bifurcated underscore MUFC way too early but gut feelings on Bootner adequate replacement for the much maligned Evra or Hutton dressed as Lam yeah just just have, <laughs> just have to doff the cap to that piece of genius um, uh, yeah I mean it's way too early to say so much nonsense of like yeah play him every week instead of Evra yeah total nonsense yeah he basically had the exact same game that Evra would have had in that game of marauding up the left he was an auxiliary left winger and actually thought in the, the first few minutes he, he was either very nervous or didn't get himself in quite the right positions defensively and, and uh, he had a few shaky moments early on in the game so I think there's a, there's a lot more questions to be asked of Buna. He, he was great going forward uh, he's obviously you know very physical he's got bags of pace and he's a very attacking left back and, and scored a, a fine if, if fortunate goal with a bounced in off the keeper and got a, got a ricochet that came back to him but the positivity was all there attacking and so there's there's that was great but we haven't seen enough of him defensively to know whether he's a great left back or not so all this talk about uh, he should be replacing Evera is totally nonsense of course I mean we've, we've got a man in Evera who's got over 50 caps and and uh, played hundreds of games at the very highest level of European football we, he he may not be at the same peak he was three years ago or so but he's still a very fine left back so uh, I think that's a, an awful lot of nonsense I think my view of Bootner stands from from when United signed him he he will play in a few of the games against lesser opponents probably in the cup competitions I don't expect to see him at Anfield but I do expect him to play against Newcastle and depending on what happens in this European Cup group stage he may well play in the, the last couple of games of dead rubbers if they are dead rubbers and, and he'll get sort of 15 to 20 games as a result but I, I don't expect him to be taking over from Evera just yet I mean, I, I agree with you about that. It was a very exciting debut, very, day, which is always yeah. nice to see, and he was extremely involved in the attacking. He obviously got his goal thanks to a combination of sheer determination and Al Habsi with a bit of a clangor. But yeah, it was, and, and he got an assist as well, and it was just he was incredibly busy and exciting, and he looks like I, lo- I love really enthusiastic players, you know. But you know, one of the reasons that, that ever gets so much stick is because Fergie's asking him to do an impossible job. He's asking him to play left wing and left back at the same time and as you've said so many times that's because he wants his central defenders to be able to defend one-on-one obviously United have uh, this tradition when they're at that when we're at our best of having really good goalkeepers and that that makes a big difference and it, it frees up the fullbacks but you know Dennis Irwin had Ryan Giggs in front of him you know it did the, we don't play 4-4-2 anymore we don't have a left winger almost ever anymore Wing, well we just don't have a left winger yeah. full stop right so can't call Ryan Giggs a left winger anymore so uh, yes uh, and that has caused uh, ever some problems in terms of his positioning and stuff like that I'm, I mean look on any level whether it's subjective or, or some of the stats uh, Evera's not performed to the same 
level as he did three or four years ago. It'd be really hard for anyone to say he has, but there is a level he's got to, which is still very, very good. He's still a very good left back, and I think people overreact a little bit about that one. And uh, yes, he does make some mistakes defensively. He often has very little cover, as as you've just said very well. So, but look, I hope Bootner builds on that. It was very exciting. We'll see how he does against a, a better side. I mean, if uh, ever is never injured, but if he ever does get injured, or at least for any length of time, then then we'll find out about Bootner and uh, and his real qualities defensively as well as attacking. The one final word about the Wigan game. Well, no, actually, sorry. There's two more things I want to talk about the Wigan game. Uh, we talked about goalkeeper rotation last week, and he stuck with Lindegaard and then gave an interview to Sky Sports where he said that he was comfortable with rotating the keepers, and that's his plan for the season. And it's one of them where you yeah. really hope he's lying seems quite certain about that one he feels that he's going to rotate and and in fact he said in that interview that he would have done the same thing last year had it not been for Anders Lindegaard's injury so all that confidence David De Gea got from playing for a sustained period of time from February onwards he wouldn't have got uh, had it not been for Lindegaard's injury so interesting I can't say I agree that that's the good strategy the right strategy he, he says he wants uh, to get both players used to English football well Lindegaard's been here for 18 months and and De Gea for a year now I, I think that's enough right to pick one and some interesting points a few pundits have said and I don't think very many people pundits or fans would say that rotating goalkeepers is a good idea maybe that's just just you know crowd think maybe Ferguson's discovered something new here uh, another good point can you ever remember a really great side not having a really great goalkeeper you know it's that kind of iconic thing of having a great goalkeeper and and I don't know how United can do that when they rotate two all the time and England almost did it in the 70s and weren't a really great side but they rotated Clements and Shilton and there were two fantastic goalkeepers uh, and you know probably number one and number two in the world at that time but uh, it's not quite the same same with United at the moment I mean my feeling is just personal feeling of course is that that De Gea is a better goalkeeper, a significantly better goalkeeper, and he should be given the number one jersey until he proves otherwise. That's obviously how I feel about it as well. It's the Brian Clough thing. You get the spine of the team right. What matters is your centre-backs, your goalkeeper, and your centre-forward, and your centre-midfield. That's that's Those are the spine of a successful team. And right. the uncertainty created in the back four by swapping the keepers is, is one of the... just is a massive factor. I, I think Fergie's making a huge mistake, and I think it it's a very odd decision, and one that smacks slightly of trying to keep an unfair feasible situation going where somehow Lindegaard's convinced that he's not second fiddle whereas really he should be not because he's not a good keeper because he is but uh, you know we've talked about this at length but David De Gea is potentially a truly great goalkeeper and it doesn't seem that Anders Lindegaard has that same level of potential he's a brilliant second goalkeeper to have so if you can find a way to keep him happy that's great but not at the expense of De Gea's emotional well-being and confidence but talking of young players getting their chance and building up their confidence a goal from Nick Kapowl an absolute belter of a hit and a lovely drop of the shoulder to create the space for the goal for the shot you know you, you don't want to hype young players and and obviously it's, he's very young and and there's stuff he needs to work on particularly his passing which was a bit loose uh, in the latter period of that Wigan game but how skulls-esque was that goal the drop of the shoulder shifted the ball into space to have the shot and 
bang into the net. Uh, uh, someone said on Twitter that uh, it reminded them of Scalzi's goal against Copenhagen uh, five, six years ago in Champions League. So that one's on YouTube. Go and have a look. It's almost identical. Uh, brilliant. Just just fantastic. And, and to know that United have got a midfielder who can score goals like that is a, a real great bonus. And, and I hope, hope Powell gets a few games. I'm sure he'll play in the Carling Cup yeah. next week. Carling Cup, Capital One Cup. I can't get, I can't get my head around this. It's always been the Carling Cup. That's because you know I'm passionate about it. And no, the Capital One Cup. Yeah, uh, should we just call it the League Cup as a sort of? Let's boy- just call it the League Cup. You see, I can't help but call the Champions League the the European Cup as well. You know, that's just old fashioned of me. So it's better than calling it the Cock, isn't it? Which, which you know the natural acronym for it yes it is definitely much better than that uh, the, the league cup we'll come on to that later but before it's the big trophy champions league football back at old trafford admits much excitement uh, lots of retrospective pieces about that welcome to hell galatasaray game in 92 93 that was so vicious and intense um a brilliant piece by rob smythe in the guardian on on wednesday this week but the game was an absolute damp squib terrible lackluster performance from united you know pretty bright and breezy for the first 15 minutes and and got that crucial goal character very well um even though he's brought down to to get the goal with a lovely kind of on the floor scissor kick but then united just kind of capitulated momentum and and relied on De Gea to keep them in the game lucky to get that one nil especially with nanny taking the worst penalty seen in a united shirt for at least a week Hopping back one second to the the Galatasaray 93 game, and I, I, I've got to say that one's burned into my memory for, for quite a few reasons. Well, obviously, Eric Cantona's meltdown and, and the fact he got sent off in the tunnel. The fact that afterwards, uh, one of the Galatasaray directors said that they'd bribed the referee, and uh, which is absolutely stunning. And obviously, the welcome to hell and, and uh, the, the just the nature of that draw, not United out. And of course, I, I had quite a few friends who went to that game and got arrested and uh, were then deported from Turkey after... Uh, David Meller worked to get them out, the old Chelsea fan stroke uh, MP who uh, liked to give it to hookers with a Chelsea shirt on. You know that's not true, right? You know that that's literally, literally made up by Max Clifford to sell newspapers. What, that what he helped get the, the fans out of jail in Turkey? No, he definitely did that. <laughs> There's a thing in the Rob Smythe piece of Gary Pallister saying that he was he was sort of trailing behind chatting with someone or something and he walked past a, a bellboy in the hotel and gave him a sort of, you know, polite smile and the bellboy just dragged his finger across his throat. <laughs> you know, not not the most welcoming atmosphere for United. And just like feels like it's from a bygone era because A, you know, the idea that going abroad to any country playing in the Champions League would somehow be really like going to a completely different sort of civilization, even though it's only two two decades ago, uh, there seems to be like some much more cultural homogenization in football. But also just United had a team packed full of hardcore nutcases as well. <laughs> you know, you know, dressing room of Brian Robson, Roy Keane and Eric Cantona and Eric Cantona wanted to go outside and kill a policeman and Roy Keane said in his autobiography, you know, I don't shy away from many fights but I wasn't <laughs> yeah. up for that one. If Roy Keane's not up for joining in, you know you're making a terrible mistake. It's something that has clearly translated across the, the generations as well because how good were the Galatasaray fans at Old Trafford I mean they were in the ground two hours before the game uh, making a hell of a racket and then did right throughout the game too and and their team performed as a result I mean Galatasaray let's be honest were very very unfortunate not to get away with a draw at Old Trafford at least yeah, I mean, we we had a question from Lagna Sigodi saying another European match where our midfield is overrun at home. Perhaps last season it wasn't that we were complacent, but we're just not good enough. 
Well, it, look, it's a fair point. And the thing is, Galatasaray went with two in midfield as well. It's not as if they packed the midfield. So they went 2v2 and dominated for quite a long period of that game in, in central midfield. And it's a, it's a real worry. And I don't know how Ferguson's going to square that circle because it's not there's not going to be any additions. I mean, maybe Fletcher's coming back to fitness. Obviously got a few minutes at the end there. Didn't didn't quite look ready, did he? But but that's fine. I mean, he's been out for such a long time. He's, he's going to need some games. Um, I don't know how to answer that one because uh, obviously... Obviously, at home, you want Kagawa in the most dangerous positions possible. That left United very exposed through midfield, and Galatasaray really nearly exploited it. Very unlucky not to get a penalty in the first minute. Should have had a, a free kick just outside the box when uh, Carrick uh, clearly fouled his man, and, and a few other shouts too, and uh, hit the outside of the post twice and the bar. I mean, uh, there's not too many sides come to Old Trafford and have that many chances. I think they had more chances than United on the night, didn't they? And it just feels like a replication of last season, doesn't it? I mean, how casual were United against Benfica and Basel at home and it just felt like exactly the same game again and back to the question is it that United are being complacent or just not good enough well I couldn't tell the difference at this moment I mean it's probably a lot of the latter yeah absolutely Nanny's penalty why, why did Nanny take the penalty you suddenly realise it's Nanny that's going for the penalty and I said to my housemate one of two things is going to happen here he's either going to pass this back to the keeper or blast it over the bar and then he did the stutter step so it was pretty clear that it was going to be pass it back to the keeper option option a awful penalty and very very peculiar decision to give nanny the penalty uh, you assume this is fergie punishing van percy for his terrible penalty um because i would imagine that robin would be up for having another go he, he seems that sort but just really peculiar it's, it's obviously a you know, piece of reactionary decision making there to take the penalty away from van percy it's not as if he's going to say uh, take it in the same way again uh, nanny's penalty he started the stutter before the referee had even blown the whistle he couldn't have telegraphed his penalty more if he'd actually literally telegraphed it to the goalkeeper and it had taken a couple of days to arrive and a carrier pigeon had come into our draft and said uh, he's going to pass this to your right mate <laughs> you know yeah. uh, just awful just awful and what the hell is going on with the United's penalty takers at the moment I mean seriously you know and can anyone look best passer in the United side is clearly David De Gea right so he should take the penalties now I know I mean Paul Skull should have taken the penalty clearly last season Fergie tried to win the league handicapping himself by not allowing us to hit a decent corner all season this season even though that didn't work he's taken it to a whole nother level and he's banned the taking of good penalties uh, anyone who does is fined six weeks wages because Fergie wants to see if he can win the league without ever scoring a pen after winning all these trophies he's just adding challenge after challenge he's like well I'm going to support a, you know, a regime that sucks all the money out of the club so I can't buy any players and then then I'm going to make sure that we can't compete in midfield and uh, Jeez, we're still competitive. I'm going to make sure we can never take a decent dead ball ever again. Next, next, you know, look, the logical conclusion of this, he's only going to pick 10 men from now on. Well, I know wait there he does because Nanny was playing. <laughs> yes. And talking of unbelievably insurmountable challenges, we had to put up with Niall Quinn for 90 minutes co-commentary. And if you just excuse me, Ed, this won't take very long. This is something I wrote during the match. Niall Quinn, you are making my patience wear thin. I do not even know where to begin. Your co-commentary causes so much chagrin. Niall Quinn, you're watching a different game to me. You don't seem to like MUFC, which is okay, but it seems to be affecting the way your eyes see. Niall Quinn, you seem to be liked at Sunderland, but Sky have made a serious blunder, man, employing you to talk about football when it appears that despite your years in the game and your many claims to fame, you actually know sod all. 
Niall Quinn, I am grateful for small mercies, like last-minute winners from Van Persie, and the little button on my remote, with the power to stop the sounds from your throat getting to my ears, and the rising anger is quelled by the glorious silence as I hit mute. Very good. It's not, it's not very often that a co-commentator is so bad he makes you write a poem, but that's what happened to me today. Of course, the alternative is to just, yeah, hit the, hit the mute button, listen to Alan Green on Radio 5. No, thanks. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Imagine Niall Quinn and Alan Green together oh, as a co-commentary team. No, I think the world would probably end. I think dark matter would take over. It's more enjoyable watching some kind of stream from Fox Soccer or something and listening to Americans commentate than, than it is Niall Quinn. I can't stand the man he talks in nothing but uh, cliches and and he seems to talk about anything bar what's actually happening in front of him but yeah there you go and of course he's a bitter so uh, that doesn't help matters either yeah absolutely so i guess we should move on to some discussion of this horrible vex question of chanting and hillsborough and united and liverpool and all that nonsense because we'll preview the game at the end of the show but this there's been a lot of talk about this in the media i have to say ed you're you're my oldest friend in the world so obviously i'm quite biased but of everything i read about this all week the thing that i enjoyed most the thing that i thought got it the most right struck the balance between saying that United fans have done some really rotten things about something that they never should have but also saying that the, there's something really unbalanced in the coverage of this was was your piece on United rant what what have you made of, of all the stuff well summary of all those points really I as a United fan I, I can't say I like the always a victim it's never your fault chant anyway it's not one that I'd go around chanting it I I'm of the camp that I think it's much nicer we just chant about united and and support the team and you know i I understand the banter and the rivalry and all of that kind of stuff i do understand that uh, that chant which i'm quite sure in my mind i'd heard before the patrice ever and suarez thing and i think it's been around for a while and was revived and i understand why that took off during suarez and evra and i even understand given that it literally is sung every week that it would be sung at the weekend and as as a united fan of long standing i have never not once ever thought of that song as being anything to do with hillsborough it i know it taps into this this uh, stereotype of liverpudlians as you know, having a victim mentality and that whole thing that Boris Johnson wrote years ago uh, about wallowing in their misery. And and part of that is exactly what the powers that be that covered up Hillsborough was happening into too, right? So there are some parallels there. I don't think there's cause and effect, and I do think a lot of the media missed that. I do not believe that the majority of United fans who've sung this song over the years were ever thinking about Hillsborough. I think the the vast, vast majority of United fans would be bored by anything that mentions Hillsborough. I mean, I was talking to you and saying that on the day that Hillsborough happened... Uh, of 20 odd years ago i was in sheffield and in fact i was in a house about 100 yards from the ground and all the ambulances and fire engines the police were pouring past and and you know people were coming up the hill from hillsborough and it was quite clear something horrible had happened so given that given the tragedy that's happened around manchester united and, and given what i believe the song's about i really think there's very very few manchester united fans who want to insult the families who've lost people at hillsborough having said all that it was just insane and wrong morally and ethically i think i said uh, of united fans to chant it at, at this time on this weekend because quite 
clearly insulting Liverpool at this time would be seen as an extension. There's quite clearly the opportunity to offend people uh, who are connected with the disaster at Hillsborough. And obviously there was going to be a huge press reaction. And it's okay, you know, for people to bleat on about the lack of consistency in coverage. And there really is because every single game, uh, Manchester City fans turn up Old Trafford and start chanting about Munich. And I've heard it loads of times from Liverpool as well. And loads of other uh, sets of fans chant that exact same always a victim never your fault chant including Everton fans at last season's uh, FA Cup semi-final and and none of that's covered in the same way so I, I totally understand the 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 fact that United fans are irked by the imbalance in the media coverage and and it has gone over the top it really has and and Ferguson while saying he doesn't want United fans to be chanting this and he, he deplores it and he thinks it's wrong he's never actually said you're talking about Hillsborough and that's disgraceful and uh, I thought although it was totally unnecessary the the supporters trust put out a statement it'd have been easier for them and better i think for them to just said look it was wrong i don't you know united fans shouldn't have been chanting that uh, but they clarified the situation and said there was nothing directly about hillsborough because there wasn't so anyway that's a, that's a very long way of saying exactly what i said in in my blog piece really uh, i think a lot of it's been misunderstood uh, the problem now, of course, is that given that, that misunderstanding has happened, a new reality around that chant has been created, right? So United fans may well, to a, almost a man, believe there's nothing in that chant about Hillsborough. Uh, but if it happens again, the new truth, even though it might not be the truth, the new truth that has been defined uh, is that that song is about Hillsborough and it means United fans got to stop right now and not do it again. Yeah, and it's difficult to say that to fans who have a counter-argument to that. And my feeling on the... the it's not going to surprise anyone, my, my feeling on the, that choice of charm. I, I mean, I think it's truly thoughtless to to do that because the whole campaign was about saying this is this was not our fault and there was quite literally a organized right-wing conspiracy in this country and that 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 is not you know i'm, I'm not even i'm the, like i'm completely not a conspiracy theorist obviously like it's no surprise to any listeners that i'm a big lefty but this was literally a right-wing conspiracy a very right-wing government very right-wing police basically saying that working class people animals and the whole cover-up was about saying that it was your fault and the Liverpool fans campaign and the families of the 96 the justice for 96 campaign is all about saying this was not our fault and it wasn't you know that's that's the thing about it so that there has been this uh, two decade long uh, two almost you know not far off three decade long campaign to say this thing is not our fault when it actually wasn't you know it, it really muddies the water when it comes to that whole kind of public conception and basically the this kind of truism that liverpool is somehow a city that wallows in its own self-pity and like so many of these kind of horrible negative stereotypes there's some grain of something in that you know i was talking to a liverpudlian friend of mine about this you know and he was saying that that's long been his feeling about Liverpool is that it's a city with a complex you know but some of that is for good reason it's not you develop a complex because sometimes persecution complexes develop because you're persecuted and then what happens is when you're not being persecuted you revert to that type but the the very fact of the the fact of the matter of Hillsborough is that the city was lied to lied about and told that everything was their fault when it wasn't right so so yeah could probably do without singing that you know the week after this has happened because the thing that 
drives me absolutely up the wall is people saying, yes, but they do this. Yeah, I mean, look, moral relativism has no place in all of this, right? Yes, they do do this. (laughs) They do sing about Munich and, and no, the media don't call them out on it doesn't matter we can get our own house or in order first and and that's what we need to do and having said that we get our own house in order because as i've said the new paradigm now is that that this is believed to be a song about hillsborough so united fans have got to stop even if they don't believe that that's the case they won't though will they football fans won't stop because of that no and look there's a sense of defiance as well and the song about the the racist bastard song was sung and then and then the you're always a victim it's never your fault was sung it clearly they ran after each other and quite clearly they're about uh, ever and suarez i also think there was a defiance thing because ferguson said i don't want any chance in response to a question and Ferguson isn't that tightly knit with the fans these days, so he doesn't always know what's going on. And there's obviously a massive amount of coverage. And I think United fans are quite apt to react to stuff like that these days. I mean, we've been taught over the last six years that we, we are quite reactionary about stuff that the, the club or people say or the media say. And, and I think there's some of that as well. And there is a sense of defiance and that could spill over uh, to next weekend. And, and I hope... No United fan sing that song for exactly the reasons I've said, uh, but it wouldn't surprise me hugely if if some do. I think they'd probably be shouted down, but that old defiant sing will rear its ugly head again, and I think that's probably much more likely to be the case than actually there's a whole bunch of sick United fans who who want to insult the memories of those who died at Hillsborough on on what is likely to be an emotional day, and there's going to be a bunch of joint tributes by United and Liverpool uh, players and managers. I just think it's. It's like stick your defiance where the sun don't shine. But just be be a human. I mean, I'm not saying you don't agree with that. I just I, I've I've had this kind of bubbling up feeling of just like deal with your issues about being annoyed that the media are picking on you another time these are people that lost their lives and families that lost loved ones put that first for a bit and then go off on one in six months when no one's paying attention because your defiance about this is 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 petty in the scheme of what really matters by by yours i don't mean yours ed obviously i mean the people exhibiting that defiance you know, it's about realizing that there there are certain standards that we need to to adhere to as, as fans right now Moving on, and we kind of missed this out, but I did want to have a, a quick nod to Darren Fletcher, returned against Galatasaray. Uh, there's me thinking he had the bad aids. It's, it was the good variety, and, and he's back. And it, look, isn't that great? He got a standing ovation from the United fans during the game, and it's great to see him back. Really great. I mean, I think we know that there's no guarantees here, is there? But God, if he can be, become the player he once was, it'd be a huge boost for United. And on a personal level, he, he needs a break, doesn't he, badly? Yeah, it's just nice to see him play. You know, what, what it means in the long term, I, you know, nobody can say because cause illness is such a you know, it's such a tricky thing. It's it's so different to injury to have a, a chronic illness. You know, it, you can manage it and symptoms abate and then they come back and all, all that kind of stuff. So just wish him so well. So lovely to see him. And, you know, if he's reduced to cameos, so be it. I'd much rather have him well enough to make cameos in the first team. I, I didn't think we'd be seeing him in September, that's for sure. 
so lovely. Yeah, it's great. Having said all that stuff about chanting, there's uh, this game coming up at Anfield at the weekend and uh, talk about the wrong time for this game. And, and uh, after a week of the media winding everyone up and, uh, and the Everett Suarez thing bubbling away in the background still and uh, apparently both clubs have demanded that they have a handshake this time and the, the, the eye will be v- and ears will be very closely on United fans and, and then there's the rivalry on the pitch and, and all of that and it couldn't really be any more intense could it no it couldn't what i want is the bloke from the euros to come and do the countdown before the game but not the countdown to kick off the countdown to suarez in Evra's handshake it's amazing that we're still talking about handshakes in football it's ridiculous i get should we should we just concentrate on the football i've had a question from at flash liz asking out of skulls carrick and cleverly presuming all fit who should start against liverpool is skulls our super sub i'm not i'm not sure i, I kind of think all, all three of them there's a good shout for playing all three of them in there we definitely i definitely can't see fergie playing a 4-4-2 against liverpool no it's an interesting one this one uh, because scott has played the full well no he didn't play 90 against galatasaray but he played a, a large chunk of the game so he's played two in a row I have to say it's hard to think of him actually playing i think cleverly and carrick will play in and they might just play kagawa and, and look for him to play quite deep it, it, that combination didn't work very well at southampton did it so i'm not sure we get the best out of kagawa if he has to play deep but but ferguson's going to want to get three in midfield somehow Either it's Skulls plays and cleverly and Carrick, uh, or Kigawa drops deep. Uh, one of the two, but but they'll be looking to get more in midfield, especially given the the way Liverpool play at the moment. I mean, they they do look to retain possession through midfield, and obviously that's what much to Alan Shearer's chagrin. Joe Allen does. Stevie G doesn't. He still hasn't got it. He's the most wasteful midfielder in possession in the Premier League this season, which is remarkable given that Rodgers wants to play tiki taka. He just can't help himself. He just has to keep hitting those Hollywood balls yeah it's almost like you know a deliberate act of spite against this idea of a new way of doing things because stevie g likes his way or the highway doesn't he well that's right yep and if it's not his way or the highway it's it's phil collins no no. (laughs) that that doesn't even make sense if it's not his way or the highway it's a studio that's that's no better liverpool have been incredibly subpar so far this season but you know they're gonna play like it's their cup final uh, against us i don't know i think they've been pretty much on par haven't they <laughs> well, they are 17th in the league, which I think even for the most ardent United fan is probably below expectations for where Liverpool will finish. Not below my expectations, I'll tell you that now. Um, yeah, they're, they're going to put put in a heck of a shift, and United have not been good at You were talking about when the last time we were good in, in European competition is. I can tell you when that was. That was the semi-final against Schalke, when Ando and Gibbo bossed it. Bring back Gibbo, that's what I say. Yeah. Well, no, you're right, and uh, Anfield have been pretty terrible recently, and there will definitely be a cup final atmosphere and a cup final performance from Liverpool and United have got to do the same um, I'm sure you've seen that wonderful video like a minute of insane tackling from United against Wigan we're probably going to need some of that or maybe not the two-footed variety the skulls put two of the reducers in in that in that section and managed to get both of them clean which was a miracle of sorts at Skulls, Skulls' tackling has been revitalised by six months out of the game. I think he just spent the entire six months thinking about the concept of tackling. He's, he's just a way better tackler now than he used to be. I, I think it's actually because he's, he's a bit slower, so he, <laughs> yeah. he's timing it a bit better, you know? Yes, he's not getting there three seconds ahead of the ball all the time. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not looking forward to this game for all manner of reasons, but one of the reasons I'm not looking forward to it is how abject we've been at Anfield recently and just how poor our performances have been all season so far. A really good half of football against Wig- Wigan 
you know, Wigan aside, it's not been so promising. I mean, I guess Wigan are technically a, a better side than Liverpool, aren't they, at the moment in terms of uh, points on the board? So maybe they'll be less of a challenge. I, I have no idea what he's going to do with formation and selections. Absolutely baffling this season. And one of the things worth mentioning is Danny Welbeck was man of the match, I think. If one of his one of his shots had gone in, he definitely would have nudged man of the match against Wigan. Just We said after discussing the England game he's just a player that makes things happen right, yeah. and I kind of feel like it would be really good to have him on the pitch against Wigan but I don't I don't I can't make the maths line up in my head to make it work except that it's still possible that if we really are going to play with one striker and, and a proper five in midfield then Welbeck might still be our best option as a one in a 4-5-1 although you know we've got Van Persie now so it's going to be hard to argue against that I think I think if he gets in the side he gets in the side on the left wing and, and perhaps not who's quite ineffective against Galatasaray would would be the one sacrificed for that. I don't think there'll be loads and loads of changes. Obviously, Ferdinand will come back into the side, so the back four would, would be the usual one there. And there's a call over the goalkeeper, but I think De Gea will probably, probably get the nod. And then in midfield, I think it's Skulls or Kagawa. Uh, Van Persie up front, Valencia will play right, and, and it's Nani or well back on the left and so there's not a huge amount of choices for Ferguson to make there and I think it's it's probably quite obvious the way United are set up and it's just that really that kind of attacking or defensive thing I think with Kagawa that's the major tactical choice to make yeah it's going to be very interesting to see and very interesting to see how it plays out but before we move on to predictions for this game we should deal with a couple of your Twitter questions we've had uh, uh, some interesting questions and um, I'm just going to slightly adapt this question that's coming from at MUFC Sean I, I mentioned that this this whole goalkeeper situation has got to the point where if I had truth serum and an hour with Alex Ferguson, I, the first question I might ask him might be what's going on in his head around these goalkeepers. But Ed, Ed, what's the uh, the first question that you would ask Sir Alex Ferguson if you had some truth serum and had him in a room? Just how much will you be profiting from the 2012 incentive equity plan? So it, it's it's specifically that rather than a more general question about why he's back the Glazers. Well, I, I think that might give us our answer. <laughs> yeah. That's a terrible slight on Ferguson. Of course, he said he, he wouldn't profit from the IPO, but that wasn't the question I just put, which was a very different thing, of course. Yeah, absolutely. And he's got truth serum. I don't really know. I, I think I would have to ask him... I'd have to ask him about about the Glazer ownership and and his position on that because that's the thing that looms largest in my mind when I think about him. But also, I think I'd ask him something about the way he's handled players over the years and and what his regrets are because I you know he, he doesn't really talk about things in terms of regret apart from maybe Yapstam. And I think he's made some he's made some very big calls with with players at various different times. Sean asked us for three three questions for Fergie, but it's late at night here, so I think I think one's what we've got. And Ed, this is the really important question of the week. And, and who better place to answer this than you? At jduke underscore asks, should I upgrade to an iPhone 5 from my 4S? Absolutely. I mean, look, the technology is not massively different, but you'll you'll get io6 on there and a better camera and a much faster processor and, and all of that good stuff. All right, so so you're you think it's worth upgrading from a 4S to a 5? That seems that seems like a seems like a pretty iterative upgrade to me. That does. This. Here's a, here's a tip for you. iPhone 6 will be out in spring. No, you're joking. You're joking, right? No. The iPhone 6 is coming out in the spring. Well, it's just a it's just a rumor doing around. No, no chance. I can't see it. But yeah, no, I think I think I'd hold off and get the 5S. If you're on a 4S, wait for the 5S. If you're on a 4, upgrade to the 5. 
So I guess we should move on to predictions, Ed. It's us against Liverpool at Anfield. That doesn't normally end well. Are you more optimistic than normal? Um, ish. <laughs> <laughs> no. But, but I think we're due a performance at Anfields. Uh, yeah, definitely due a performance. Due a performance. We are, we're due so many different performances for so many reasons. So, well, for that for that reason, you know what? I, I'm going to go crazy because I, I thought United's defence was, was better against Galatasaray. I, I know they had a lot of shots and some of them were from distance and actually did play well. So I think Ferdinand will come back in. I, I do think that Ferguson will probably opt for three in midfield and I, I think we'll be a lot tighter. So maybe a 1-0 win. I'm going for a 1-0 win for us. I don't really believe it. I think it might be a pretty scrappy game, all in all. There's another thing to consider. Um, Liverpool are playing in the Europa Cup on Thursday, and I, I know they'll play all the kids, but, but there's a bit of travelling there and mental fatigue and, and all of that. So that might have a, an effect. Uh, but I expect Liverpool to beat off young boys anyway. Outrageous. Uh, talking of playing all the kids, we are playing in the League Cup against Newcastle next week. He won't play the kids, he'll play the squad players. Same, same sort of thing as last season, presumably. Yeah, although, although the squad players uh, don't include Michael Owen, so they're, they're somewhat younger. I, I think we'll see a few of the young players. We'll see Bootner, we'll, we'll see the other goalkeeper, uh, whoever doesn't play at Anfield. We'll probably see Chicharito and Welbeck, because they haven't had a load of minutes. Uh, we'll get to see Powell, I assume, which will be nice. Fletcher will probably start, which will be excellent. Uh, again, uh, probably Johnny Evans, because he, he'll need some more minutes and, and stuff like that. So a mix, you know, and maybe a, a few of the reserves will come in too. I think actually the goalkeeping selection should be really interesting because if he picks Lindergaard for that game, there is a kind of unconscious message there that, you know, this goalkeeper rotation is all very well, but De Gea's number one and Lindergaard's number two in the pecking order. But if he picks Ben Amos... Uh, Amos is out on loan, so, but he might, he, he might pick Sam Johnston, who's been doing very well. Well, then in that case, in that case, you know, if you pick Sam Johnston, even more so if he picks Johnson. That's saying, yeah, I'm really serious about this goalkeeper rotation lot. Yeah, well, we'll see. I mean, uh, who knows what Newcastle will play. I assume that they'll do something very similar and, and uh, play some a mix of squad and kids as well. So very hard to predict that one as a result, isn't it? Yeah, it certainly is. But I'm going to predict a United win 3-1 for no reason whatsoever. It just sounds like fun to me. I actually think it'll be a draw, so I'm going to go for 2 all. And I really can't remember if there's a replay or extra time and penalties. Well, I think Newcastle don't have the resources to fight on all, all fronts at all, so he really is going to write off the League Cup, I'm sure. Yeah, uh, and uh, and who wouldn't? So, Except for Liverpool, who are, of course, the cock holders. Oh, God! This is the worst episode of the Rankast ever. I did a poem, and you've done relentless, inappropriate, pun-related remarks. Anyway, on that note, we'll be back with another one of these next week, but you can't wait, can you, if you want us in the meantime, at United Rant for Ed on Twitter, at, at UTD Rantcast for me on Twitter. Uh, you can leave a comment on the show page at unitedrant.co.uk and read all the fantastic content there. If you're a big fan of the show, you can like us on Facebook at United Rant. Uh, no, you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash United Rant. And if you really, really want to, you can go to unitedrant.co.uk slash donate. Thank you very much to all the people who've done that. Very good. And one final, final thing before we go this week, we have to give away a Skulls 22 shirt to one lucky reader. We asked you to tell us what you do with the gingham shirt because it's not fit for human wear. And we had some fantastic entries. I, I have to say it was completely overwhelmed by the number and quality of entries for this competition. So in no particular order, apart from the last one being the winner, the top three are number three from at Bree Red underscore Red Ant. Monkey stay away from bright fabric. So I 
I'd tie strips around my mango tree so I can get some damn mangoes. Uh, so it's, it's it's important to get mangoes. Uh, number two, with really profound apologies from me, at Joel WUJ, Joel Woods saying he would use it as an advert for his dad's insurance company. And then a crying face because I said that all insurance companies were evil. Of course, I mean, apart from the one that run by your dad, where no doubt the people are foremost in his mind at all times and personal gain is very much secondary. But the winner... And funnily enough, me and Ed both read through the list and both picked this one as our winner, so so there was no, no debate about it. At Fat Bobalot, Chris Key on Twitter saying, Gingham shirt could be used to keep Scalzi's legs warm as he whizzes around the pitch in an electric wheelchair. Ten more years! Ten more years, definitely. Well, he wouldn't get any slower, would he? Great entry, and and a gingham shirt with Skulls 22 on the back is on its way to you. Fantastic prize, I think. And as I said last week, you can write one and eight on there if you want. You have permission. In fact, I might do it for you. Send me a DM on Twitter with your address. I will get that out in the post to you. And so, thank you very much for listening, and we'll be back with another one of these next week. You certainly will. Two victories for United. Come on, you Reds.